0: There's a well-known pastor you've probably heard of down in Alpharetta, Georgia. His name is Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley pastors the North Point Community Church, which is comprised of 40,000 people spanning eight locations throughout the Atlanta metro area. Uh, Andy Stanley is an advocate for what he calls irresistible environments he believes that a church's services and music and programs and aesthetics should be so attractive, so magnetic that unbelievers can't help but come. Now from what I've gathered over the years, Andy Stanley believes and he proclaims the gospel message and I praise God for that. So I say that first and now I say what I'm going to say. I diametrically disagree with that philosophy of ministry. In fact, I would argue that irresistible environments in the church are actually more of a hindrance than they are a help. At Oaks, as Pastor Seth has already kind of previewed and as your bulletin expresses there, our our philosophy of ministry is the exact opposite. We promote simplicity. Uh, We strive to be lean And plain and relentlessly uncomplicated in what we do and how we do it. So this probably sounds really random if you are just joining us today. Firstly, if you are, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We are halfway through a sermon series we've called Summer Orientation, a 10-week explorations of the passions, Priorities and particulars that give shape to Oaks Church, and our hope in doing this series is twofold. One, we hope to foster a clearer understanding of what we believe, what we practice, and why. And we hope to cultivate, Lord willing, a deeper sense of oneness and unity among us. We began this series four weeks ago by considering Scripture itself. So, in the pages of Scripture, God has communicated to us all that He wants us to know and to believe and to do. And because of that, because of how thoroughly God has communicated to us in His Word, we seek. To make scripture and to observe scripture as the foundation for all that we believe and practice at Oaks. That's why we had to begin this series looking at scripture itself. The Sunday after we considered scripture, so three weeks ago, we considered the central figure of scripture, Jesus. Jesus is our utmost passion at Oaks because in him. Our greatest need is met And our greatest hope is secure The Sunday following that message We considered community Jesus does not save us Onto an island of isolation But into his body The fellowship of believers Expressed in the local church In community Last week We considered mission So Between our Sunday gatherings and our Wednesday gatherings as a church community, between our gatherings together, we aim to permeate our neighborhoods and workplaces and social circles in order to show and to share the good news of Christ. And now today... In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and your bulletin says chapter 2 verses 3 through 5, I have drastically expanded the text to include verses 2 and 1 as well. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, and as we do, we will consider the simplicity that engraves all that we do and and how we do it. So if you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles or flip it open on, on a device. Before I read, remember with me that the book of 1 Corinthians was originally a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the Christian church in the city of Corinth that he had personally planted. Now, a bit of geography and Social studies here, Corinth was a splendid commercial city of both Greek roots and Roman stature. Corinth had a population of roughly half a million people. And it, this is to, to set a scene, to, to make a point. Corinth was the perfect location for a church of irresistible environments. However, as we're about to see in our passage, Paul took a completely different path. And I invite you to follow along as I read. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, Paul writes, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided. To know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of Power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God would you say a word of prayer with me Father may we be committed to this same philosophy that our faith may not rest upon the wisdom and tactics of men But on and in your unmistakable power, you are a powerful God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The term exegesis denotes the task of interpreting scripture according to the original author's intended meaning. Eisegesis, on the other hand, is what happens when a person reads a passage of scripture and takes from it a meaning that the original author never intended. So it's always our aim, Lord help us, it's always our aim to exegete God's word and not eisegete it. And I say that up front because I recognize that that the passage we've just read, in that passage, Paul never explicitly confronts the philosophy of irresistible church environments in favor of simplicity, right? Look, I mean, look, we can, most of us read, he says nothing here about emotion-stirring music or sensory-engaging production and technology in the church, or he says nothing about alluring events and enticing programs. He says nothing about these things... Explicitly. Notice with me, as he recollects the beginnings of the church in Corinth, notice with me the utter absence of attractionalism. If today's Christian leaders were to time travel back to first century, Corinth to walk in Paul's shoes. Many of today's Christian leaders would take note of what is most admired by the citizens of Corinth, the artistry of the city and the intellectualism and the public speaking and oration, craftiness, right? They would would see those things and then if, if today's church planters were to time travel back, they would use many of those tactics and try to meet and mimic and even outdo many of those amenities of the city of Corinth you know what we're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna plant the church and we're gonna beat the city of Corinth at their own game we're gonna blow it up and make it hot but as Paul recollects the beginnings of the church in Corinth verse one he's like yeah um when I first came to proclaim the message of God to you I did not speak in the lofty wise ways of your city's public speakers Verse 2, I actually made a conscious decision not to prop myself up as a deep thinker or an impressive speaker. I simply offered to you Christ and Him crucified. Heck, verse 3, in the midst of your prestigious and powerful city, I, I was weak and fearful. And trembling. And verse 4, my words and my message weren't particularly stylish or enticing. And there's a reason for that. Verse 5, I was purposefully unflashy. So that your faith, your hope, your focus would not be based on the wisdom or tactics of man. Or in the events or programs or impressiveness of man. I was purposely unflashy. So that your faith, your hope, your focus would rest solely on the unmistakable power of God. I don't think I'm committing Jesus to look at this passage and see that Paul purposely promoted a resistible environment. And he did so that In the event that anyone actually believed the gospel and stuck around to form the church, it would have nothing to do with gimmicks. It would have everything to do with the irresistible power and grace of God. Follow me for a second as I explore something. It's not totally a tangent, but a brief commercial, if you will. (laughs) Follow me for a second. If we were to read through the entire letter of 1 Corinthians this morning, we would see that Several times, Paul harshly rebukes the Corinthian church for sins they were entertaining amongst themselves. And yet, and yet, we would also see that despite the fact that the Corinthians were missing the mark all over the place in several important areas of the Christian life, they were missing the mark, Paul continually, time and time again, insists on calling them Christians. And I think one of the reasons why Paul is so convinced that the Corinthians truly are Christians, I think it stems from what we are reading in this passage. As Paul recollects how the church forged, namely, the, church, the Corinthian church members had responded with repentant faith in Christ to Paul's absolutely unflashy, unimpressive proclamation of Christ crucified and resurrected they had been given no worldly incentives to call upon the Lord and to assemble as a church and yet they did just that I mean walk with me through this here Uh, Silas and Timothy, who were with Paul when he planted the church, they hadn't brought in a team of professional musicians to perform a heart-pounding, sensory-engaging, emotion-stirring worship concert with a cross on the stage. Apollos hadn't labored to conduct all sorts of separate services for all of those who preferred classical music and country music and banjo-driven music and this, he hadn't done that. Priscilla and Aquila hadn't organized and implemented loads of events and programs for every age and interest and favorite color. They had done none of this. Paul and his companions, as Paul admits in our passage, made a conscious decision to present the Corinthians not with an irresistible environment, but with a simple, plain, one-size-fits-all resistible environment that totes the irresistible grace of God. And he did so because all of those who believed and stuck around to form the church, they did so only. They didn't do so by worldly ploy and tactic or wisdom. They did so because of the unmistakable power of God to save sinners. Now let me ask you, as followers of Christ, who have been cut to the heart by Jesus' death and resurrection to pay for our sins. What I'm describing right here, what we see right here, don't you want to be a part of something like that? Isn't that what we want to be a part of? During these Sunday and Wednesday gatherings, don't we want to be surrounded by people who, like us, are here for no other reason than to be a simple Jesus community on mission? Now, I'm not saying, do not hear this. I am not saying there's never a place for some programs or a few extra band members to help poor Ed us out from time to time. I'm not saying there's never a place for some use of media. I mean, we're high tech. We have a QR code in our bulletin. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm not saying there's never a place for those things. But we would much rather keep what we do and how we do it profoundly simple And there are four things that I want to close out with. Isn't it funny that I have just basically preached my whole message and now I'm going to give you an outline. So number one, simplicity is a decision. Number two, simplicity is a blessing. Number three, simplicity is a protectant, protectant. And number four, simplicity is ultimately a gospel issue. And I'll repeat those as we go. Number one, simplicity is a decision. Look again with me at verses two through five. Look at Paul's language, for I decided. I decided to not speak or come across like a hot shot. I decided to lead with meekness and authenticity, which we will speak more about in two weeks' time, Lord willing authenticity I decided to avoid earthly strategies of men so that your faith verse 5 would be firmly rooted where it belongs to be that is in the power of God alone I'm convinced that even if Paul were to have had a massive budget that he wouldn't have created an irresistible environment of a church in Corinth, because irresistible environments don't need the power of God to look successful. And I say this not from a place of arrogance, I say it from a place of experience, if you know me just a tad you've probably heard at some point I spent nearly 10 years serving as a worship pastor in a big church and the large team of musicians and sound engineers that were paid that I led we got really good at going really big we wrote and recorded songs that got the attention of some record labels we flew in from Los Angeles, the production engineer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers to install our, ma- our sound system that would blow your hair off, right? And that was to accompany lights and to accompany our big video screens. My point in all of this, ultimately you'll see I'm not bragging. I have a confession to make. My point in all of this though is that we got really good at going really big, but in the process I learned a humbling lesson. You ready? Those things did not contribute to the church's maturity at all. In fact, I would argue from eyewitness firsthand experience, it contributed to an immaturity. I can't speak for where that particular church is today. There are many of those brothers and sisters, I still, I deeply love them. I'm in communication with them. I've not been there. And now closing on, like in on, like eight years, I've not, I've not been there, so I can't speak. But while I was there, while I was there, hardly anyone was fluent in the gospel message. Hardly anyone knew the good news that they claimed to believe. I'm saying this hopefully with gracefulness, because people from that, you're going to hear this. You're going to hear this recorded. At the time, it, gospel fluency was out the window. Hardly anyone was committed to the discipling relationships that form when community groups of believers meet in homes to fellowship around the word of God. While I was there, the church had no confession of faith, no operating bylaws, no membership, no family meetings, and no accountability whatsoever. It was honestly, at that time, years ago, a mess. And I include myself here. I include my own this. It was largely and partly a mess because we together, myself included, had gotten good at all the unimportant things. The things that, that moth and rust are gonna destroy. The things that will not last when fire comes. And I've sought forgiveness from the Lord on that one, so I won't pretend to do it again right now, but... My point, here at Oaks, with Paul's words in the forefront of our minds, we have decided, notice that word, we des- we've decided to take a simpler note, to take a simpler route, and not because we are holier than thou. I mean, if you know me, you know I'm pretty open about this. And just ask my wife to corroborate the... I'm a train wreck in most of my life. By God's grace, here I am. I'm breathing. <laughs> and I'm talking to you as one that you should listen to. So just don't listen all too closely because train wreck. I'm not saying this because we're holier than thou at Oaks. I'm saying because, number two, simplicity is actually a blessing. Simplicity is a blessing. It is a blessing to practice a plain Jane church structure based upon scripture's plain Jane instructions. (laughs) At Oaks, we are, here's our structure. This is as simple as it gets. At Oaks, we are a body of believing members led by biblically qualified elder pastors organized for service by biblically qualified deacons. That's it. That's our structure. And as far as programs go, we really only have one. Community groups. Community groups that are facilitated throughout the week by able husbands and wives opening up their homes further, further. Now, again, this is a summer orientation. There's a, there's a little bit of a flyover about our church, right? Based upon God's word. Further, we function here on a very lean budget. Just ask our deacon. skip familiar, deacon of finance, We have absolutely minimal overhead and we particularly experienced the blessing of this when COVID initially swept through the United States, when churches uh, across the country didn't meet for a few months. If you were anywhere on social media, you saw there was a panic that fell on church leaders, on the churches who were decidedly not lean in their finances they had to urge their congregants, give, give, tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings, give, give, and then give again, because their church was carrying a huge debt and a huge staff to support all their programs. Praise God, it was a blessing to not uh, our, the pastors that we didn't even think about giving. I mean, of course we're giving. We didn't even think about having to urge our. <laughs> You guys continue to be wondrously generous and we're very decidedly simple. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your grace on us in that. Simplicity is also a blessing in that it purifies our fellowship. Now, I need to be very careful about how I word this. Because like you, I really do. I want unbelievers in droves to hear the good news, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. But we don't want their involvement at Oaks to be rooted in emotion-stirring music or inspirational TED Talks disguised as sermons or a thousand programs that have been meticulously designed to scratch all the itches of everyone. We want people to come here to worship here, to serve here, and to stay here for one reason, the power of God transforming sinners to the tune of Christ crucified and resurrected. Continue on that stream of thought with me. Number three, simplicity is a protectant. Simplicity is a protectant against consumer Christianity. Isn't it more difficult to become a consumer Christian when there's really not all that much that you can consume, right? When churches respond to all the different preferences of the congregants by putting on multiple services with different styles of music and different uses of technology and different fonts and colors on the bulletin, doesn't it subversively teach the congregants that the church gathering is Burger King? Have it your way. You want the cheese on the bottom and then the bun? You want, you want it medium well cooked? You want a fry like in the, in the burger? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. When a church's programs and ministries are meticulously tailored... It does the same thing. On Tuesdays, we host the Harley Davidson ministry for men in their 50s. On Thursdays, we host a pampered chef ministry for women in their 40s. On Sunday nights, we have an Xbox party and pizza for the teenage boys. Look, (laughs) I have no one particular church in mind. I'm not dragging anyone through the mud. I'm just simply having a conversation with my church family, all right? When the church plans and organizes and executes meticulously tailored programs, the church inherently becomes responsible for maintaining those programs and it becomes responsible for scratching all the other itches that might arise in the congregants. Well, I don't have a, you know, a striped shirt club ministry with prayer. I don't, I, I don't have a favorite color is orange ministry. Okay, we'll give you that. We'll hire you to lead that. That's fine. We'll hire all of you to do this. Uh, uh, right? That's not what the church is called to do. And I got to say this, man, you can sense a little angstiness in me. I, I kind of apologize for that. Um, There are many, many well-intentioned churches doing this. Many of them that that truly do believe the gospel and preach it and hallelujah, hallelujah. But on the whole, if we look around ourselves, has it not become the church being more akin to a a Burger King with a gospel flair? Now there's nothing wrong, hear me, there is nothing wrong. In fact, it's wonderful when the members of the church themselves organize times of fellowship that are a bit more tailored. Organizing a cycling group or a volleyball team or an adventure club to go hiking at Worcester Memorial. Look, meet together, fellowship together, pray together, enjoy one another and enjoy the activity that you are doing. But the church itself cannot be expected to drive that. And that leads to my last point. Simplicity is... I'll say it this way. Simplicity is ultimately a gospel-related issue, okay? Gospel issue, that, that, that word is, you know, we're, we're willing to divide over things that are gospel issues. I'm, we might have varying opinions on what I'm talking about this morning. So simplicity is ultimately a gospel-related issue, okay? Hear that part. Two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter four, we were reminded that the local church is to build itself up into maturity and knowledge and discernment, to be able to discern between poor teaching and bad, good doctrine and bad. The local church is to build itself up in this. The elder pastors, the elder pastors with the servant help of deacons are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When we gather together in this building and when we gather in homes throughout the week, our eyes, because of what we are called to be, our eyes are on the word of God and his astoundingly glorious good news to us therein. We are saturating ourselves in the word and in its main message, the hope of glory in Christ. And the good news, we we talked about this last week. Although we have each rebelled in our own ways against the God who created us for his glory, and although we each deserve the punishment of eternal separation from him, Jesus came to reconcile us to and with God. Jesus lived the holy life we have each failed to live and then he died the sinner's death that we each deserve but that wasn't the end of the story. He rose to life that we would turn from our sin and that we would call upon him as Lord. With this message at the helm of who we are, we can be lean and plain and relentlessly uncomplicated in what we do and how we do it because we are unashamed of the plain, simple gospel. Because the plain, simple, unwatered down, unfiltered gospel is the power of God to sweep sinners from death into everlasting life that is something that we can get around for as long as we exist. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Father, if my uh, angstiness was in any way destructing, Lord, please forgive me. Um, I uh, really just... I. I see in your word here in 1 Corinthians chapter two, Lord, just a, an absolute decisive dedication, dedication to simplicity. And I just, I love the way Paul lays it out in your word. And Lord, I pray that you, here's, here's what I'll pray. Lord, would you keep the men and women of Oaks Church focused on the main things. First things being first. We're gonna sing that in just a moment. Would you fixate us on the power and the authority of your word and the central figure therein, your word incarnate, Jesus Christ, who is to us salvation and hope of glory. Help us to be relentlessly uncomplicated in our pursuit of just simply being a Jesus community on mission together. Be glorified in it. Empower us for it by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we trust that you will use this in the ears of those who are just itching to hear the glorious gospel in this town, Lord. Save the lost and sanctify your church in simplicity and plainness and glorifying ways to to you, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.